everybody. Whether you're in your normal seats or somewhere completely different in the room, we want to say hello to you. We want to say welcome to anyone that might be joining us live online right now. We have a few people that said hi to you already. Uh, and we want to say hello to anyone watching or listening to us a little bit later on in the week. And we want to uh, have a special welcome to any guests that may be with us today. We're so glad you're here. We've prayed for you. Uh, we really want this to be a low-pressure environment for you just to kind of receive anything that you might need to receive today. So we've developed a few avenues for you uh, to just kind of hang out and for us to serve you any way uh, that we possibly can and answer any questions that might arise. So uh, the next few minutes are primarily for you, our guests, whether you're here in the room or live online or watching later. Uh, one of the ways that we hope to serve you is by connecting with you. And so we would love for you to fill out an information card. Uh, those can be found in the seat back in front of you if you're here in the room. Uh, we want to, we'd love to follow up with you and get feedback from you. And remember, remember, not just guests are able to fill this out. Anybody, uh, even if you call Centerway your home, you can use that to update your records or communicate in whatever way you need. Um, but if you don't want to use one of these or if you're online right now, uh, the second way to uh, update your info or to give us your info is by uh, an app uh, called the Version app. Uh, the Version app, the instructions on how to use that are up on the screen. And that app is super useful uh, for many different things during our gathering today. You can follow along. You can take notes. You can even give uh, that way if you so choose. Uh, and one of the coolest things you can do is you can make Centerway your church. If you go to that little hamburger thing in the bottom corner, uh, you can figure it out from there. The reason why we'd love for you to do that is it makes it easier for us to connect with you, uh, to spy on you and what Bible plans you're reading. Just kidding. No, we don't, we don't really do that. Uh, but we'd love to keep up with you and push out any plans that we might be uh, offering as a whole church. Now, I already mentioned giving through the app. And of course, we don't expect our guests to give by any means. But if you attend regularly and you prefer not to use the app, uh, there's a couple different ways to give. You can use the envelope that is in the seat back in front of you, just like this, and place that in in the Centerway offering box in the back, or you can go to the Give tab of our website. Now, today is week five of our series called Built to Be, and it has been an incredible series. We've been going through uh, the book of Nehemiah. We're continuing that journey that we began in the fall. Uh, and there are free Nehemiah journals in the back. If you haven't gotten one, feel free to even now get up and grab one of those. Um, and if you're joining us online, if you shoot us an email, uh, we'll be able to send you one. And we have resources for this series so that you can connect and engage throughout the week. Uh, we have wallpapers for your phone or other devices, Spotify playlist, uh, social media channels, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that you can subscribe to on the website or by using one of these cards here. You can visit the messages page of the website to access these resources and even more. And one of the things that we really, really believe in here is that none of us are done following Jesus. Every one of us have another step in our journey with Jesus. And so we want to help you take that next step. So if you're looking to take that next step, you can visit that next steps area in the back or that page of our website. Uh, there are just so many different ways to learn how to follow Jesus. And we want to connect you uh, in that journey. 
Uh, in fact, I'd like to highlight one of those next steps right now. Uh, starting this week, a new Circle cycle is beginning, and signups are live on the website. Uh, if you don't know what Circles are, they are an incredible way to connect and engage throughout the week. And really, all we do is we come together and we talk about uh, how the message is coming alive in our lives and how we're applying the text. And it's a great way to meet people, a great way to grow, a great way to be encouraged. Uh, and there are five to choose from, which is really exciting for adults, students, and kids with a new circle added for moms of little ones. So be sure to check that one out as well. Again, you can visit the Next Steps area in the back at the end of our gathering or that part of our website anytime. Now, check out the calendar page of our website. We have some uh, really cool events coming up here uh, in the next few weeks and months. And then finally, if you have questions about anything, if you need prayer for anything, if you have ideas or, or uh, if you have feedback for us, we're not just filling time in the beginning of a gathering. We really do want to connect with you. And so the best way to do that is through email, connect at centerwaychurch.com. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible. Excited about that. And after, we're going to respond to the word by worshiping through singing. And uh, it's going to be a great day. If you believe that, why don't you bow your heads and hearts with me as we just ask God's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, uh, we are reminded this morning uh, that uh, you are worthy to be praised and you are able to be trusted, Lord God. Uh, despite the things going on in our world today, uh, though the, the seas rage and the earth split in two, Lord God, we can still trust you. Uh, you are a firm foundation that we place our hope in today. And so, God, I ask that that hope and that life would come alive in us, Lord. As your spirit uh, meets with us here, I pray, God, that uh, our spirits would be changed, that we'd be different, Lord God, raised to new life. And, Father, I ask that uh, as that happens, Lord, supernaturally, that uh, there would be an atmosphere atmosphere of celebration, an atmosphere of joy, Lord God, in this place, because you are so good, be glorified in each and every one of our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Eric. Good morning, everyone. My name is Claude. Uh, my wife, Meredith, and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Excited to be with you this morning and uh, excited to continue in our series, as Eric just mentioned. Um, we're continuing our series through Nehemiah. And uh, like I said, as you just heard, the series is called uh, Built to Be. Built to Be. And today's talk is going to be focused on chapter 11. It's entitled On Mission. So uh, followers of Jesus are built to be on mission. And uh, although we're going to be covering the content of the entire chapter, uh, if you look at the chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting over a, a head cold, so I'm a little nasally too. So those of you that listen to the podcast regularly, you're welcome. Anyway, yeah. uh, the, uh, um, that's what I get for joking around. Okay. So uh, followers of Jesus are built to be on mission. Like I mentioned, uh, although we're covering the, the content of the entire chapter, if you look at the entire chapter, um, from verse 3 on to verse 36 is a mention of different people, lists of names, uh, different communities, things like that. So we're actually going to be focusing on the content of the first two verses of this chapter. Um, and uh, you'll understand that if you read the, the chapter later on in the week. But <clears throat> I want to start things off uh, with a story. Uh, a story that you might actually be familiar with um, 
just because maybe you've seen a movie that is derived from this actual true story. Uh, it's a story of Desmond Doss. So Desmond Doss had a uh, religious, he had religious beliefs that uh, did not permit him to uh, take the life of another person. Um, and it, of course, he wasn't um, religiously permitted based on his beliefs and convictions to carry a weapon or to do anything aggressive towards another human being. And, um, you know, as much as that is fine for somebody that functions in normal society, what's unique about the story of Desmond Doss is that he was drafted into World War II. And so he was drafted into World War II, and he was what's called a conscientious objector. Um, And so he was placed as a non-combatant. Um, which ultimately resulted in him being ridiculed by a lot of his fellow uh, soldiers and um, ultimately led him to pursuing to be uh, a field medic, a field medic specifically in Okinawa. And um, he was a uh, non-weapon carrying field medic in World War II. And uh, Japanese, the Japanese attacked his unit on top of a cliff, which is what was ultimately made a movie that I'll mention in a moment. Um, but in the midst of that, in the story of Desmond, uh, every person in his unit that was mobilized on that day on that cliff uh, was shot, uh, injured in some, at some point. And so Doss quickly rigged up a stretcher without any sidearm, one by one, uh, through continual firing at him, um, rigged a, a stretcher and with ropes and pulley, um, got his entire unit that was injured down the side of a cliff. And, uh, while being under fire the entire time, he retrieved every injured soldier in his unit one at a time. And, uh, President Truman, uh, said that it was 75 men that Doss pulled to safety that day. And he presented him with the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor. Uh, but Doss insists that it was probably closer to 50. <laughs> Continuing to be uh, humble, it, was, it wasn't the only instance of his astonishing display of bravery throughout his military service. Um, but his story was told in a documentary that's actually called The Conscientious Objector that was then made into a movie that you might be familiar with called Hacksaw Ridge. And so Hacksaw Ridge uh, is a rated R movie because of the gruesome details that are, you know, kind of displayed through people being shot. So I'm in no way endorsing you to watch that movie. I'm simply telling a story of bravery, a compelling story of a rather ordinary person who's put in a situation that he would love to avoid and rises to the occasion by functioning in a self-sacrificing manner um, on a level that most of us, if not all of us, can't really comprehend. Um, I personally have never been in a situation where people have been firing at me and trying to kill me. Um, I can't imagine having that continually happening over the span of hours while rescuing others as people are calling out for help and all that that entailed. Remarkable, remarkable story, compelling. And the question I want to ask you as we move into the text, and you'll see some of the connecting points as we move forward. The question is this, why are stories of bravery so compelling? Why are stories of bravery so compelling? I could tell endless stories. Uh, When I was searching through to see how I could kind of start and illustrate this talk, there's just endless stories of ordinary, everyday people 
rising to the occasion in remarkable ways. And, and to a person, they always say things like this, I'm just doing my job. Or how about this? You would have done the same thing if you were in my situation. <laughs> You're like, but would I? <laughs> like, would I? I mean, you like to think like, yes, I absolutely would have ran right into all those bullets flying. Like, no, let me save others. Totally would have done that. You're like, but would I? I don't know. I'd like to think that I would. I'd like to think that you would, especially if I'm one of the people screaming for help. <clears throat> but it's compelling. It's compelling when, when people position themselves in a manner that requires potentially their self-sacrifice. And so I think the answer to the question of why stories of bravery are so compelling is that the idea of self-sacrifice, it resonates with us. It's the echo of the gospel that stirs our hearts. Self-sacrifice points to Jesus. It points to that which he has done on our behalf. And so the idea that others would put themselves in, harm way, in harm's way for the sake of others, it stirs us, it moves us. In a culture that is focused on self, what it is that we can do for ourselves, stories of selflessness are compelling. So how does this connect to chapter 11? <laughs> well, we find ourselves, and I'll give a little bit of context if you haven't been with us. Of course, you can always check out our previous messages on the website, as Eric mentioned. But we find ourselves with the cities, the city's walls have been rebuilt around Jerusalem. And the people have reconnected with God by reading through the law. And that drives them ultimately to repentance. And then furthermore, connecting that which they say they believe to how it is they actually live. And so right in the middle <clears throat> of some of that tension. And then there's this obvious reality that is hitting the people of Israel. The city needs to be repopulated. People need to be willing to now move into Jerusalem and repopulate it. And if you know the story, and if you've been with us, then you know that as much as they've put the effort into rebuilding the wall, it was very clear that most of the, ho the homes and the houses that were in the city have not been rebuilt. So they're still in shambles. And so if you can imagine kind of a city wall, a temple that's nice and shiny new because they rebuilt that, but otherwise not too much. And they're like, hey, we need to move in here, guys. That's what they're facing. It's time for the people of Israel to populate Jerusalem. And if we read verse 1 of chapter 11, it says this. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. So we have the leadership of Israel that have already populated the city and taken the homes that are built, obviously. <laughs> and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. Now, some things are taking place in this verse that are worth noting, and that might kind of sort of go over our head at face value. But the first thing that I want to mention is something that might seem rather bizarre in our culture, and that's this idea of casting lots. <laughs> These people cast lots. And you're like, mm, yes, the casting of lots. I remember it well. We don't do that in our culture. I don't think you do that. That'd be pretty awesome. Maybe we need to reinstitute that in our home. <laughs> I call shotgun. No. Cast lots, my children. 
Anyway, uh, yeah, I will do that. Anyway, uh, at, at, the, uh, at the time, um, just so you understand culturally what casting lots means, it, it was a way of deciphering God's will, which is part of why it makes it so funny if the Lord wills you to have the front seat or not. Um, but uh, it was a way of deciphering God's will without being kind of swayed by people of influence or by those that might have something to lose. The closest example that we have in order to kind of wrap our minds around what's happening here is that in our culture, we, we might have, you might have participated in something like this where uh, somebody needs to be selected for something and there's kind of an argument as to who's going to do it. And so you just, you all write your names on a piece of paper and you put it in a hat and then somebody pulls, the, you know, shakes it up and pulls the name out of the hat. That, that's kind of an example of casting lots. And except for this, this was far more integral. Like if you grew up the way I did, if there was something you didn't want to do, um, there's a friend of ours that we just kind of agreed that whenever this situation arose, we would all write his name on the piece of paper and put it in there. It was amazing. He got chosen for everything none of us wanted to do. He's like, I have the worst luck ever. We're like, yes, you do. It's so weird that your name's not written in your handwriting. Um, so... <clears throat> That is not an example of this. This was far more integral. Uh, and it's obviously significantly different because in the midst of, uh, of before they selected, they would pray. They would pray for God's will. They would pray that the Lord would direct the outcome of this. And then they would follow suit. Whatever the result was, that is what they would do. And so that's what we're seeing take place here. These people are coming together and saying, all right, let's allow the Lord to choose who it is that, w- that moves in to the city. Now, the next thing of significance that needs to be noted in this verse is this phrase, they bring one out of ten. One out of ten. By definition and the language that's used, they're actually tithing. They're tithing. They, as a community, are tithing people to populate the city. So hold on to that thought for a second because we're going to connect some dots in just a moment. As you hang on to that lot, that, that lot, <laughs> as you hang on to that thought, this isn't just any city. And it's referenced in verse 1 here. It says, the city is referred to the holy city. Jerusalem, the holy city. Now, the reason why that's important, and it's actually the final thing of significance that I want to point out to you in verse 1, is that this is actually the first place in the Ezra Nehemiah narratives that Jerusalem is called holy. And it's not a flippant holy. It's a specific use of the word holy. And it's actually a prophetic fulfillment that the city of Jerusalem would be, would be declared holy in this way. And I'm going to explain in what way it means. Some profound things are happening here. And like I said, if you've been with us from the beginning as we've discussed Ezra, and the beginning of Nehemiah, then you might be tracking something. The temple has been restored, making it possible for God to dwell among his people. All right? That's exactly what the purpose of the temple was. However, because the Ark of the Covenant was either lost or destroyed, we don't really know, history isn't that clear on what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the place in which God's presence would come to dwell when it was placed in the Holy of Holies. All right, And so this Ark of the Covenant was either lost or destroyed during the Babylonian exile. And so something remarkable is taking place in this 
First verse. Without the ark, the city is now being declared holy as God's throne. So what the text is saying for the first time is something that might be confusing if you're an original reader, and that's that they are declaring that the city of Jerusalem is now the throne of God's presence. And so God's presence has gone from simple temple restriction to now a city being declared the place of God's presence. So if we put it all together, the thing that I said about tithing and to hold on to for a second, and now this idea of holiness being referred to this way, in context of the previous chapter that we discussed last week, discussed last week concerning the idea of tithing. The implication is that the people moving into Jerusalem are actually presenting themselves at the holy place of God's presence as a tithe offering to God. That's way different than, so some people moved into the city, reading on, like, (laughs) that's far different. That has way different implications. These people are completely cognizant of who God is and they want to fall in line with his will and his way. And so they're literally tithing their lives, cognizant of God's presence within this city and saying, I'll present my life as an offering to you, Lord. It's powerful and an impactful moment. And if we read on to verse two, it goes on and says this, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now, it's unclear when you read the original text, if you look at different uh, commentators and consider the, the text originally, it's not crystal clear as to whether or not those who were selected responded by willingly going. Like, in other words, did they resist when their name was chosen? Or were they, were they the ones that willingly went, like they were chosen, say, all right, I'll go. Or are they making reference to some people who offered to go without being selected? It's possible that either is the case. But that doesn't really matter. The point is still the same. These people are willingly self-sacrificing. They're willingly saying, I'll go in. I'll be the person that goes in, that moves into the city. The point, like I said, is the same. They're doing it with a very intentional mindset that was already set up in verse 1 here. Very intentional mindset. The context reveals their willingness is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. They are committing to something greater than themselves. And verse 2 says, the people, the other people, blessed them. Now, in our mind, it might, like, what does that look like? (laughs) Like, oh, Claude was selected. Hmm. Blessings. You know, what does that mean? Like, hey, here's five bucks. You're blessed. You know, like, what exactly are they talking about? The word blessed here actually means that they praised or adored them. So it doesn't really mean blessing in the way that our mind kind of goes. It means that as these people were selected or as they volunteered and they said, yeah, I'm in. I will do this. I will move my family from our ancestral place of stability. All that I know And everything that is comfortable, I will uproot it and I will bring it to this place to establish the Lord's will. I will do that willingly as an offering of my life to God's presence. People would praise and adore them. 
This is a unique moment where they're celebrating the reality that God's presence has come to rest in their place and that they get to be a part of what it is that God is doing. Why? Like, why why is this so compelling? It seems rather insignificant by these people in, in the sense that anybody could have been chosen. Why are, they, why are they praising them? Why are they adoring them? Why are they so excited? <clears throat> because the reality is, these people are ordinary people. The leadership has already moved into the city. These are average, everyday people. They willingly leave their comfort zone and uproot their family and move in to the holy city. So by literally tithing their very lives, they establish a city, get this, that would fulfill God's will. And one day, the Messiah, Jesus, would enter this holy city and lay down his life as an actual sacrifice so that God's presence wouldn't be limited to a temple or even to a city but through the person and work of Jesus, who is the true and only hero, we could have a personal relationship with the living God. That God's presence, now we have access to God's presence. But it all goes back to ordinary people being faithful in what God's called them to do. Of course, these people, they didn't know that, right? They didn't know that their faithfulness would ultimately result in making way for not just the prophetic fulfillment, but that which is going to take place in the future. It's kind of interesting. If you pulled this guy, Doss, aside, and you're like, hey, listen, you're going to save like 50 to 75 lives, whatever the number is. But, and it's going to be super scary. It's going to be really hard, but here's the deal. You survive. In fact, you don't even get injured. It's remarkable. Well, then that story is not very compelling, right? Like then every, anybody's like, oh, I'll do that. It's real easy to say, like, listen, if it costs you nothing, if it works out the way you want, if you get a congressional medal of honor, are you in for it? Like, listen, I'm going to lose a night of sleep. It's going to be physically taxing, but I'll save those lives. Like, we would do it. The compelling part of acts of bravery or acts of self-sacrifice is that in the moment it is sacrificial. You don't know the outcome. We don't know the outcome. We say the phrase hindsight is 20-20, right? If only I knew now, back then. These people had no idea the outcome any more than you or I and otherwise ordinary people Sorry if you think you're more special. But for the sake of conversation, ordinary special people. We don't know. We don't know what God will do in and through our yes. Think about that. Think about that because here's the deal. We're confronted with moments. Everyone in this world is having this world fight for our attention. Everything in this world wants our time, wants our talent, 
and wants our treasure as resources. They want to use you. You're like, no, 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 I'm part of a team. (laughs) They want to use you. Get hurt on that team. Have somebody come who's better. Get cut from that team. No, 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 no. We're like a family at our workplace until you get fired. No, no, no. You don't understand. Like, I, I'm, the, I'm the smartest kid in my class. I mean, I'm the valedictorian until you don't get into that college. No. Like, don't, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that in some way your time, talent, and treasure should be doled out for temporal things. Because God himself is saying, I want to do something eternal and lasting through you. And so am I saying those those jobs and those sports and all those things are bad things? No, not at all. What I'm talking about is your perspective and the way in which you live in those moments, the way in which you leverage everything that you are and say, you know what, maybe, just maybe, this is a divine appointment. And so if I'm on the team for only this long, then I will be sure that I am a person of influence for gospel redemption in that season. That if God places me in this job for this season, that I would represent him, that I would be available for divine appointments, that I would have a perspective of the reality that I am part of something greater. That is far more worth everything that you've got because here's the deal. The the athletes have come before. Uh, The the other people have become president CEOs and they've lost their jobs. They've retired, all that. Like people have come before you. You're not the first. You're a steward. You're a steward of what? 120 years? Some of you are like, gosh, I hope not. (laughs) But what, 120 years that you're on this earth in light of eternity, this much, this much in light of eternity? How are you leveraging it for eternal impact? Do you have perspective or have you lulled yourself into the lies of this plane to say, no, no, I'm living for right now. This is what matters, right? 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 But here's the deal. You live for this moment, you're on the roller coaster of joy and pain. Identity, self-worth, lost it, depressed. We see it in our culture. We see it time and time again. This isn't rocket science. We're talking about a proper perspective on how it is that we live our lives. And so you, you might say like, oh, we're talking about tithing. You're talking about money again? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm talking about something far more impactful than that. I'm talking about tithing your life. Because that's what Jesus requires. Jesus says, guys, I actually want it all. I actually want it all. And the reason I have a right to ask for it all is because I'm giving it all. And I'm laying down my very life so that you can come into relationship with God. So therefore, where you go is declared holy. Can you imagine carrying with you the presence of God? If you had a perspective to say, no, I'm a gospel-centered influencer wherever I go that we would realize that our care for the marginalized isn't just because our heart is broken for those that are left out, but that it comes from a place that, that Jesus himself has poured into our lives to say, no, that person is marginalized, but they are beautiful and created in my image and therefore love them, protect them, care for them, not of the goodness of your heart, but because of my goodness, because of God's goodness. 
what will God do through your yes? Don't believe the lie. What will God do with your yes? Listen, I'll be honest with you, as I always am. It's a problem I have. It may cost you. It may cost you some comfort. That might be a swear phrase. Cost me comfort? It may cost you comfort to help establish what God is doing in and through your world. In fact, it may cost you comfort to establish what God is doing in and through Centerway. As we reach and impact this and surrounding communities, we don't know, we couldn't have dreamt five, six years ago what it is that God would do just now, five, six years later. What will God do in five more years, in 10 years? What does it look like in this city, in this region of the country for us to impact the world? Not because we're trying to elevate a brand or center way. That is disgusting and distasteful. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about establishing the fact that God has called us to do something as a community of people that link arms and happen to call ourselves Centerway. What would it look like if God is asking, if, I'm not assuming God's asking you to do anything, (laughs) but if God is asking, does he have your yes? Does he have your yes? Because it will cost, so slow down. Because here's the thing, in Christian circles, we're like, yes, God, yes. God has my yes. <laughs> You're like, well, it's, it's going to cost you something. Well, I mean, yes, when I'm available. Yes, when I have extra. Yes, when I'm not tired. <laughs> not really, yes. What I mean is sometimes or maybe. And here's the deal, like, that's okay because it's not about me and it's not about Centerway. This is about you understanding a holy God. This is about you being transformed by the truth of the gospel and realizing that your comfort is about the worries and cares of this world and your willingness to leverage all that you are for the furtherance of his will and his kingdom is something eternal and lasting. And so your yes is not anything I'm trying to pry out of you. Because I know that if I convince you of a yes, I got to maintain that. And that junk is exhausting, (laughs) right? But if we are compelled by the truth of the gospel and transformed in our heart, and we acknowledge the fact that Jesus himself has come and sacrificed everything, and he declares he wants our yes, then we willingly lean in. And when we do, people praise and adore that. Because they know it's counterintuitive, it's countercultural, it is compelling that we would live our lives in line with the gospel. Consider that. Consider if he has your yes. As we move on, and, and to be clear, at this point in history, if I haven't made it clear enough, to move into the city, they are downgrading big time. At this point in history, it is a downgrade to leave their families of origin, to uproot them and to move into a city where, where their homes need to be built and they are without land that they then have to go and farm in order to gather and make livelihood. This is a complex ask. 
but they're sacrificing to do the Lord's will. That is not a popular point. It's not a popular point. Like there's not a lot of pastors out there being like, you know what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how God wants us to sacrifice because in our culture, we love to hear that. (laughs) It's not a popular point. But listen, God often fulfills his promises through seemingly ordinary people willing to respond yes to his call, even when it costs something. That's why Jesus says, you want to be first? Become last. You want to be the greatest? Become the least. He's showing us that the kingdom of God is the exact opposite of the way, the culture that we function. The culture says, no, 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 no. We've got to be the best. We've got to be influencers. We've got to be. And Jesus is like, what if you died to yourself? What if you said, God, I don't have much, but all that I have is yours. So your will and your way. And every sphere that you send me to, I will be a gospel-centered influencer carrying hope to the hopeless and joy to the joyless. If it's my time, it's actually your time. That the air in my lungs, it's yours, God. That all that I have, it's a result of who you are and what you've done for me. It's all an act of grace towards me. So how do you want me to leverage my one and only life for your glory? That is compelling. Acts of obedience lead to God's will being established. What I mean by that is that when God asks seemingly ordinary people to seemingly sacrifice, to be a part of his will. God does amazing and incredible things through that. And I see it on your faces. Like the people that are in this room, some of the people that are in this room, some of the families that have been transformed for eternity because of the willingness of some people saying, yes, it's uncomfortable But yes, and so I'll give, or I'll serve, or I'll be available. Not because somebody's twisting my arm, not because I feel obligated, but because I've been transformed by the truth of the gospel. And as a result, generations of people are changed and eternity echoes with the faithfulness of God as I've declared myself available. That's what I want to be a part of. I don't care if my name is written. I got, <laughs> I got notified by, by one of the teenagers that was in our youth group. He went back and visited my high school and just wanted to let me know, it was super pleasant of him, that the last place that my name was listed in the, the Hall of Honor, because I had a Hall of Honor in high school. And so in the Hall of Honor, my name was listed in several places. And so some teenagers would go down there when I, we were youth pastors and would like joke about it and stuff like that. And so he just let me know that the last place where my name was listed has been beaten. <laughs> and so my name is no longer in the Hall of Honor in my high school. Big whoop! Who cares? Like, I could really get bent out of shape about that. Like, what? Oh my gosh, my identity is in my high school years. <laughs> Sorry if that was too close for some of you. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we know what it's like, right? No. You know what I want? I want my name to echo in eternity. I want my name to be something that has eternal value, eternal impact, because the the accolades and the things of this world, it's great if we can leverage it towards eternity, but otherwise it's just a fleeting moment. 
take a decade, if we're lucky, three decades before our name's taken down? Who cares? Are you living for eternity? This text is a challenge to give ourselves to the Lord. To give ourselves to the Lord. That is easier said than done. (laughs) Unless, unless we realize that followers of Jesus, Jesus, the only hero in the story, are built to be on mission. We're built for that. It brings our heart alive. When we get together prior to the gathering, every Sunday, we have what's called a huddle. And everybody that's serving in that given Sunday gets together and we talk about some things and we pray together. And there is, there is a joy, there's an excitement, there's an anticipation. Why? Because we get to be a part of what God is doing. We know that, that today is a divine appointment. That tomorrow will be a divine appointment. We put our hands in the circle saying, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. We're built to be on mission. Only then can we live as gospel-centered influencers. And to that end, the application of this text is designed actually to take us a little bit out of our comfort zones because we love that. And here's the deal. Every week we give an application that we hope and pray that, that you act on. But ultimately you can sit there, maybe write it down, maybe not, and live your life otherwise throughout the week. But our prayer is that you are challenged by this application to have a missional perspective, to leverage your life toward eternal things. And so the question I want to ask, and the text requires of us, is this. Who is God asking me to share my story with? (laughs) You're like, wait, what? (laughs) Because here's the thing, the low-hanging fruit, I'll just be honest with you. We make a big deal out of it, but the low-hanging fruit, the easiest thing to do is to tithe of our finances, to give of our treasure. And I know for some it's a huge hurdle, and I realize that it's a spiritual discipline, and it's a sign of, of spiritual maturity and all those things, and I'm grateful for, for those that, that give of their treasure, for sure. And you should do it, and you should consider that if you haven't. And that's not about Centerway. Wherever you call a church home, you should do And if you're not willing to give of your treasure there, then you should consider what church you should be at where you're willing to give of your treasure. That's that's the easy part, right? It's when we start talking about our time, and we're like, like, what? My availability? My life? My comfort zone? My talent? The way I live my life? Who is God asking me to share my story with? God has placed you strategically in spheres of influence, business, school, teams. You can just dismiss that as your vocation or your school or whatever it might be. But the reality is with an eternal perspective, you have been strategically placed. Does God have your yes for eternal appointments, divine appointments? Moments where God whispers to your heart where it's like, just tell them you care. I'm not talking about engaging people with all of the theological answers. You're like, I can't do that. They're gonna ask me why kids die. I can't answer that. You know? No. I'm talking about sharing your story. 
saying, I, I know what it's like to feel alone. But I came to a place in my life where I realized I didn't have to be alone anymore. And if you want, I can tell you more. Um, honestly, I'm probably not gonna have all the answers because I'm still figuring it out. Oh my gosh, what? Be authentic? Yeah. I'm still figuring it out. And maybe the answer is, why don't you just come with me on Sunday if you're available? I'd love to bring you, or I'd love to bring you to my circle, or I'd love to bring you to a place where you can interact and just see what it's like to be in God's presence. Does he have your yes? Like, are we really willing to leverage our lives, to go outside of our comfort zone? Who is God asking me to share my story with, not theologically argue with? (laughs) Just my story. This is my life. This is what God has done for me. That's where the rubber meets the road right there. And you know what? I am confident throughout this week there will be divine appointments because we have prayed to that end and the Holy Spirit is faithful. And so there are gonna be moments where you're like, crud, this is it. And I pray that you have an internal perspective to just simply offer hope, to offer a sense of peace or a sense of joy, to live your life with a perspective that is eternal rather than temporal, that is long-term, not short-term. Could you imagine if just five of us say, okay, God's got my yes. 10, 20, what would it look like if every person in this room said, all right, this is it. And maybe it starts in our homes for some of us. Our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our kids, our grandkids. I don't know, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like walking up to the meanest person you've ever met and be like, let me tell you about the love of Jesus. Like, that's not gonna go well for you. Be led by the Spirit. Be led by what the Lord is asking you to do. Live in line with his will, but don't be lulled to sleep by this world. Don't fall for it. There's something eternal. God has placed something in you. Let's bow our heads. As you bow your heads, and and if you want, you can close your eyes. If if you're going to get distracted by closing your eyes, then just stare at the floor. But the reason I want you to bow your heads is because I don't want you to be distracted as the worship team makes their way up here. And I want you to contemplate what this looks like for you. And for some of you, you might sit there and say, "I, I can't ask God to share my story because I don't know that I've really surrendered my life to him. My story's still being written. And if that's you today and you want to come into relationship with the Lord, I want to let you know it is so easy to simply respond to what he is calling you to do today, to be in relationship with him. And so it's not a specific prayer that necessarily needs to be prayed. It's an acknowledgement of his death on the cross for you. And it's as simple as saying, God, I am a sinner, but you died for me. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. I'm gonna live for you. That's how a relationship with the Lord can begin. And if you're praying that prayer or some version of it in this room, I would love to talk to you following this gathering. I'll be at the next steps area. There's always people that talk about all different things. You won't stick out, but we wanna walk alongside you. 
We saw some people last week get water baptized as they just went public with their decision to follow Jesus. And maybe that's you, that that's, it's time for you to share your story publicly. And, and it's time to take that next step to be water baptized if you've prayed that prayer before. You've never taken that step. But I want to challenge you. Does God have your yes? It seems so simple, but it's so complicated because we're holding on to other things we worship, to other idols, to other things that demand our time and our talent and our treasure. They're pulling at us. Does God have your yes? Who needs to hear that your life has been changed? I believe God's placing that person, that God's placing that name in your heart right now. Then maybe already has. Dropped it in your heart. You're like, oh. More often than not, the divine appointment that God is asking you to intervene on is the person that is, that is just begging for it. They've talked to you about their hurts. They've talked to you about their pains. And it's a divine appointment. Maybe your story leads to a spiritual conversation or maybe it simply is an invitation to church. The question is, are you willing to say yes to what the Lord's calling you to do. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and corporately we declare a yes. Father, whatever it is that you want to do in and through Centerway, the answer is yes, yes, and yes. And for the leadership and the lead team, we declare yes, Lord. And Father, I pray that every person in this room being transformed by who you are and that which you have done would contemplate the yes within their heart, that we would be mobilized and sent on mission because that is what we're built for, that we would be filled with joy and and feel the smile of heaven upon us as we walk in the fullness of what you've created us for, for your glory and our joy. And so we worship you today because you're worthy of praise. Thank you for who you are and that which you're doing. Let's worship the Lord together. Just stand with us. We're just going to sing three songs. I just go right along with the message.
Worthy is your name, 
So one of our roles as a church is to equip the saints. And so if you're here and you're like, hey, listen, I, there's a gap. I mean, I, I want to share my story, but I want to share more than just an offering of hope or an invitation to a church or something like that, which I want to challenge every single one of us to leave this place and be sent to do. But if you want to go a little further and understand what it looks like to leverage influence, we have resources. It's a one-on-one spiritual coaching. It's an eight-week uh, resource where, where one-on-one you're walked alongside and you're spiritually coached by someone, whether you're a new believer or a seasoned believer. And part of that is learning to influence. It's one of the qualities of a follower of Jesus. It's called learning to follow. And so if you're interested in, in being coached through that resource, then we want to make that available to you. And there are people going through it currently. There are people that have gone through it. Uh, there are several trained coaches in Centerway to walk alongside you. And I want to say one more thing that I wasn't really planning on saying, but I feel compelled to. If you are a, a coach of a sports team and, and you influence kids, adults, whatever thing you coach, um, what you may not know is for about a year now, um, I've been meeting with Cody Foster, uh, who is the uh, director of the FCA for the Rochester area. And I meet with him about once a month or so uh, to leadership coach him. And so I I meet with him and talk to him about a lot of things. And um, one of the things that that I want to encourage you to do is is be connected if you're a coach to FCA. And one of the things that I would love and I would elevate, and I told Cody this, I think, last week when we met, I I want any coach that comes from Centerway as an FCA um, leader or coach to be someone that has gone through learning to follow. Because otherwise, I think there's a gap. There's a gap of like almost feeling like you're outing yourself to a sports team in like some awkward, weird way. And so I'm, I'm only saying that for whatever reason, I just feel compelled to. But if you, if you coach in some way, and I know we have a lot of people that are coaching and a lot of athletes, so I'm not speaking to you if you're like, he's talking to me. There's, there's a lot of you here, um, which I think is awesome, by the way. And I don't think it's a mistake. I think God places us in spheres of influence. And I think this community is a community that elevates sports. And if we can be present there as influencers, the impact that we could have in the lives of kids in their formative years, just, does God have your yes? I mean, holy smokes, right? So I'm only saying that because there are people in the queue that are waiting to be spiritually coached. If you're part of a sports team, you're like, listen, I want to be in on F, uh, uh, on FCA, um, but I want to be spiritually coached first and I want to know that and I want to kind of push you to the front of the line so somebody can prepare you to, to do that well. So I just wanted to mention that kind of as an announcement, um, but I really think led by the Spirit as far as in the context of today's message. So um, take that for what it's worth. But for every single person in this room, I want you to, to consider what it looks like for God to have your yes. And I want to pray over you as uh, not only as we leave, but as you're sent as a follower of Jesus, to influence your spheres of influence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we declare ourselves available. And for those that are willing, God, they say yes to you. They say yes today. Lord, would you interrupt, interrupt the flows of our schedule, God. Interrupt our day, interrupt our comfort, reorganize our priorities. Father, disrupt our lives so that we may live for eternal things. Father, we want to be a part of something greater than ourselves for your glory and for for true lasting joy. And so we say yes today. 
lead us to divine appointments as influencers of the gospel. In your precious name we pray, amen, amen. We'll see you next week. You don't wanna miss it. It's gonna be great as we continue in the series through Nehemiah.